Paul Miller tells the story about his autistic daughter, and he and his wife and his daughter went to a family camp. And on the first day, his wife, Jill, became friends with a uh, volunteer that was there at the camp, and her name was Kayla. And while they were in the food line, one camper's mother heard Kayla say something negative about the mother's parenting. And the mother complained to the camp directors, who then brought Kayla and asked her all about this. And Kayla had no idea what this mom was talking about. She couldn't remember speaking badly about her at all. And, uh, of course, quickly, as this might happen in any setting like this, volunteers, other volunteers, found out about the situation. The staff, of course, tried to handle the problem, but here was Kayla, this volunteer, college age, having this cloud hanging over her. And she came to uh, Paul and Jill really upset because it just didn't make sense for her to apologize for something when she didn't know what she had done. Yet, the cloud was still there. And it was hard for her then to serve. It was preoccupying her. She was self-conscious. It was awkward to be at camp. And she felt like her ministry there was over. My question what would you do? And Paul Miller said this. He said, I knew that Kaylee's, Kayla's ministry, and I might use the word instead of ministry, her spiritual insight was now moving to a whole new level. And he said this to Kayla. Before this happened, you were in a good transaction a happy volunteer. You were giving your time and your money and you were receiving thanks and the joy of helping others. And now, instead of honor, you are getting dishonored in return. Instead of thanks, you are getting misunderstanding and possibly even slander. Now, this would be a miserable path. And then Miller said this, except that it is one that Jesus walked. You are entering the sufferings of Christ. Now, I suspect this morning that we have all been there with Kayla. We have our own stories. Maybe you have one even today. Most likely more times than we can count. And I believe this illustration is so perfect. It's so helpful because it's not about an example like persecution in a third world country or a catastrophic life-threatening problem. It's about the day-to-day stuff that is asked of a follower of Jesus. So here's the question and then the challenge. What if 
Kayla, by faith, could see her experience differently, could see her experience like Miller lays out. Don't we have that option as a human being, and particularly as followers of Jesus, filled with His Holy Spirit? I want to believe we do. We can choose. We really can choose our responses, our mindset. And we have control over not only our mind, but our spirit to a certain degree as we lay ourselves before the Lord, and we choose this by faith. So let me explain this in a little bit more detail this morning. I laid out this last week, but this is the J-curve, and it's a diagram. And as I said last week, it is an economic term that we are borrowing for our spiritual benefit. It's a picture, and so go ahead if you'd like and take a picture of it. I want to reflect upon it in order to keep... Easter going. You see, we die with Christ and we are raised up with Him. And we can see this in the diagram where our life on the J curve goes down, 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 and then we are raised again. Here is the principle from Philippians, from the book of Philippians, as Paul writes to that church. And Paul says this, to that, the church in Philippi, verse 29 of chapter 1, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, now listen up, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. Now we've seen it. A young child is learning to play baseball or kickball. And uh, they're cheered to run to first base after they kick the ball. And they make it to first, and then they stand there with both feet planted on first as if that was the entire ball game. And I believe, you see, that many believers never get to second. Or we forget that the point is to round the bases if first base, as the passage in 129 says, is to believe in Him, that is to come to Christ and to be baptized and to be forgiven, that is great. Faith is absolutely necessary. And it begins with believing. But it doesn't stop there. Notice what the passage says. To, uh, to suffer... For him. In other words, to stop there with believing is like standing with both feet on first base. So, what is second base? That is to suffer with him. Now, this isn't really a sermon about suffering, though I think it applies very well to that. It is about identification. Remember, we talked about our identity last week, and here it is again to identify with Christ. We believe in Christ, now we are going to identify with Christ even in His suffering. So let me put this principle out there. The J-curve means to identifying with Christ in your present experiences by dying to yourself. Identifying with Christ in your present experiences by dying to yourself.
Remember last week, united with Christ. So we are in Christ. And to be in Christ covers both believing and suffering. To identify with Christ is to be in Christ and to suffer for Him. Now, so that you don't somehow believe that I picked an obscure verse out of the New Testament, I want you to see that in Colossians, in the book of Colossians, Paul makes much the same argument. Let's look at the language there. In Colossians, in chapter 1 and verse 24, he says this, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh. In other words, in my human humanness, in my humanity, in my mind and body and soul, what is lacking, get this, in regard to Christ's afflictions. Paul saw himself and the trouble he was going through as fulfilling the mission that Christ had started in his own sufferings. And then he does this, it says, for the sake of his body, the body of Christ, the physical body, well, our minds might go there, but then he says, which is the church. We do these things in order to build up the church. Paul says it a third way then, in back in the book of Philippians, in chapter 3, where he uses just a little bit different language, and it's familiar because we have a song that we sing that related to this language, and uh, it conveys the idea of the J-curve in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, I want to know Christ. And here's the language he uses in this verse, I want to know Christ, identification. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection. Don't we all want to get there? Don't we want to keep re-experiencing Easter? And then he says, and participation, or as we've often said it, and it's in the NIV and the older translation, translations, and fellowship, fellowship in His sufferings. Becoming like Him, in his death. So there we have the J curve, but inversed. The resurrection part comes first, and then he talks about the sufferings and the death. So what happened to Jesus is what happens to Jesus' followers. That's my point this morning. And this is a good thing, and this is a privilege, and this is our choice. We die too, and we rise with Christ. So Kayla. She went from self-confidence when she arrived at camp and self-assurance and, and high self-esteem and, 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 and really a reliance on her own gifts and talents and, and personal performance to being humbled in her service when this comment from this mother came out. Here's my question. Is that so bad? Or is it actually second base? And then third base? And then finally home in our own journey? You see, this is what it means to simply not to, to move beyond believing or trusting the gospel to believing in it. 
And this Paul understood. And it's why he didn't despair when things got bad. Every tough spot was an opportunity. He sees being in prison as the possibility for a win for God. The gospel is not simply some ancient concept that saves us. But hear this, something that we enter into and is saving us, even now we keep reliving the gospel. It moves the gospel from the periphery of our lives and something that we might remember on Sunday morning in the Lord's Supper to the center of our day-to-day experiences. And before getting the mental map of the J-curve, Kayla, I would suggest, and I'm reading into the story possibly just a bit, but is thinking about herself. She's thinking about her story. She's thinking, how can I be a better person? How can I make a contribution at camp? How can I pad my resume? How can I be liked by others? How can I feel good about myself? How can I receive affirmation for the service I'm doing? And her driving question is, what's in it for me? Whether she's consciously asked herself that or not, That's the question that's at work. And then she gets hurt. And then she's thinking, and this is part of the J-curve, I gave up a week of my life for God. And these kids to serve at camp. And I'm giving up a paycheck. And I'm actually even paying to be here to get slandered. And there's this massive drama that comes forth at camp and and there's all this tension and it feels awful and about a third of the camp knows about my situation and notice again it's all about her but now she's given this new mental map by Paul Miller this j-curve understanding and 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 suddenly the awakening is she realizes that she is a part of the great plan of Christ, the great biblical story. And it's not her plan for God, but God's redemptive plan for the world. What about the mother who criticized her? Wouldn't it be easy to resent her, to move away from her, to hold a grudge against her. And that mom may be absolutely wrong. But according to our story, she's not the enemy. You see, in God's strange economy, in the world of the J-curve, that mother is the one who brings Kayla closer to Christ. What does imitating Christ then do for Kayla? Well, she reinterprets her experiences and, and she identifies with the humiliation of Christ and the suffering with Him. And, and, and she realizes she doesn't need to be a victim. She can stop 
keeping score. She stops holding on to anger through God's power and resentment and, and gets past her embarrassment on the one hand. And, and on, on the other, you see, the J-curve has the potential to free you when you are wrong and when you are right. You see, when we die with Christ, we, we simply hold on to what? Our affiliation, our identification with our Savior. That is our joy. Now, please hear me this morning. I'm not suggesting that this is easy. In fact, this may be the most difficult, as simple as the principle is in a way, the most challenging practical teaching I have ever taught. But I believe it's on point. It's prevalent in our Bibles, both in the life of Christ and in the, in the teachings of the rest of the New Testament. Though interestingly, I think we've not always seen it. Because sometimes we focus so much on that first part of that Philippians passage to believe on him that we've missed the rest of the story. We've been standing on first base. And I want to suggest that in a world where we are given absolute permission to wallow in our feelings, in a world where it is all about me. Do you know this is true even in ministry? Maybe I would say especially in ministry. Others might perceive it. We're doing this for a noble goal. And yet, could it be all about me? The mental map that I'm laying out, it's it. To die with Christ. And I want you to just think how many applications, how many times, dozens and dozens as we go through our days and our weeks where we can apply this principle if we will see it by faith. When you are offended, when you are forgotten, when you are slighted, when you are discouraged, when you find yourself hurt, when you are proud, when we suffer ailments or failure or the inconsideration of others, we have opportunity with this mental map. Of course, Kayla, she had a mentor to help her think through her problem and to see it differently. And this approach to our faith is going to take enormous and constant practice. Otherwise, the flesh, our humanity, will simply govern the day. So you might want to find some mentors or, some, or a couple of others. Don't even call them mentors if you don't want to, but a couple of others that can come alongside you to help you to make these day-to-day -day decisions as your faith gets real. And then take this mental map and take this visual, and it is a structure, and it is a path, and it is a process, 
It is the storyline of Jesus. And I pray that once you see it, you will never be able to unsee it. Now you might ask this morning, well, what about the resurrection part? Isn't that the good part? Yes, it is. And uh, first of all, I want to say that oftentimes you may not be the recipient of the resurrection. In fact, someone else is, and as Paul lays this out, he says that uh, he will endure these sufferings and these afflictions along with Christ so that the church in Philippi can be built up or so that those who are the guards that are taking care of him in prison will hear the gospel or so that the church in Colossae might be encouraged. You see, they're being built up and they're being loved and they're being served and they're being encouraged and restored because of his willingness to die for Christ. Second, I want to suggest that the resurrection will come. This is the promise of the gospel. It is not something we do. We die, God does the resurrecting. Jesus died, the Father resurrected Him. He didn't will or believe Himself out of the grave. Neither do we. God gives us the resurrection in His way and in His time. He brings newness. Sometimes it'll be right in this moment, in this day. He brings peace. He brings joy. He brings life through His Holy Spirit. But for now, we live knowing that the full and final resurrection is coming. Just as our brother Jesus received it, we will too. And so our part is to die to ourselves every day with great, great hope and expectancy as we await the final rising.